When I was a kid, every so often, I would be gifted a subscription to Sports Illustrated as a Christmas gift or as a birthday gift. And you have to understand, um, this was the, the 1990s. And so if you wanted to um, read up on your favorite sport or see pictures of your favorite athlete, you didn't have a lot of choices. It was like the newspaper and a magazine, and, and that was about it for the most part. And so growing up in those years when I had a subscription to SI, um, Wednesday after school was one of my favorite times of the week. Because on Wednesday after school, when I got home, on the kitchen counter was laying that week's edition of Sports Illustrated. And I just loved sports. That's the way it was every single day or week of the year, except for one. Some of you know which one. The week of the year when the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue came out, and I came, from, came home from school on that Wednesday, there was no magazine sitting on the counter. So here's what happened when my mom would go out to get the mail, like she usually did. She would make a slight detour back to the kitchen, and that detour led her to the garbage can out front, and she would just deposit it in the garbage can. Let's be honest, a lot has changed since the 1990s, hasn't it? And no longer do people need to wait for the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition to see images that are suggestive or explicit. Um, no longer do people need to sort of uh, loiter around the back section of some gas station by the magazine racks to see things that they shouldn't see or stop off with their car at some seedy bookstore <laughs> off the highway. Now, we live in a time and an era where messages and images of sex and sexuality are everywhere. And I do not for a moment want to idealize the past or to some way make you think that the past wasn't difficult or, or bad in this arena. Distortions around God's gift of sex and sexuality and exploitation of that has been going on for millennia. But let's also be clear. This is a very interesting time that we're living in in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways is with the onset of the internet. We can, in this area or other areas, access just about anything we want from our lazy boy recliner or from our phone, even at school, or with a click of a finger on a mouse. And we walk around all day with a computer in our pocket that has the potential to access these types of things and, again, just about anything else that we'd want. And the truth of the matter is, much like all the rest of history, um, culture preaches and speaks certain messages about sex and sexuality and about people. And the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of those messages are not great. We hear messages maybe like this. Um, just looking's not that big of a deal. It doesn't really hurt anyone. 
or as long as it's between consenting adults, sex is okay in a loving relationship. It's just part of the dating process. Or I'm single. I'm young. If I'm responsible, it should be okay. Those are the types of messages and, and many others that are either corollaries of that or, or different than that, are connected to that, that, that we tend to hear. Now, in contrast to those messages, as I was thinking over the last couple of weeks about this message and sweating some bullets over it, no doubt a little bit, the hot seat has gotten hot. Um, I ran into a section of scripture in my studies that was like, wow. I don't know how people would have received this in 2018. And the reason why I love the word so well and much is because they come from my Savior. It's part of a sermon he preached. You know it as sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, one of the guys who was there, that former tax collector named Matthew, just sort of recorded his uh, sermon and then wrote it down years later for our benefit. Here's the section I'm referring to. This is Jesus' words, and he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And we could reverse the genders, and it would be true too. The same point exists. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30. And if your right, eye ca- or right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. See what I mean? Wow. Talk about to the point. Talk about drastic. Talk about blunt. We're going to unpack all of that this morning. But it got to me to be thinking, you know, like if Jesus lived in 2018 and he went on a speaking tour across the college campuses in our country, like, yeah, he wouldn't be received very well by college students or maybe even by many adults. There's three things that Jesus is talking about or really pointing out in these verses. Um, The first is, at the beginning of the verse, the first is he is confirming what God handed down to Moses on Mount Sinai. That there is a way to sin sexually. And that there is a right arena for that part of our lives. The second thing he does is he kind of amps it up a little bit. He, he sets the bar even a little bit higher as he says, it's not just the physical act. Even if you look at a woman or a man lustfully, it's as if you're committing adultery. And then the third thing he does is he sort of points out how serious this is and how important it is to take drastic measures. He talks about gouging out eyes and cutting off hands and just so that no one goes home with the wrong idea and I come back with a whole bunch of people that can only see out of one eye, I'll just let you know that uh, we'll be unpacking this a little bit in just a little bit in our message a little bit more. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus is very clear on this topic. And as I was uh, looking at the, the hot seat questions, The question that we have before us is this. 
Why does God have so many rules about sex and sexuality? And I'll be really honest with you, this exact question didn't show up in the hot seat box. But there were a number of questions about sex and sexuality. There were really good questions. There were questions in there that if I would read them to you right now, well, there's a reason I didn't. Because they were good questions, but they'd make you blush a little bit. And as I thought about all the questions, what's the question behind the question? I'm categorizing it this way. Why does God have so many rules about sex and sexuality? Now, one of the answers to that might be that you might be thinking is that God doesn't like sex and sexuality. That it's kind of just something when he looks at his fallen world that he just kind of has to put up with. That it's not something that he's pleased with at all. And that just cannot be true. The reason is, is when you go back to the very beginning, when you go back to creation, God created the world. God created Adam. He created Eve. He created marriage. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 goes this way. That is why a man will leave his father and his mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And, And that Hebrew phrase for one flesh is an interesting one that I could preach a whole sermon just on that phrase or those two words. We don't have time for that. But what I'll just say is that one of the very clear things in that is God giving Adam and Eve the blessing of the sexual relationship in marriage. And so it's not like God doesn't approve of sex or sexuality. He's created us the way we are. He's given this to us as a gift. That leads us to our first fill-in for today. God created sex as a gift for the marriage relationship. Now, I want to unpack a question that maybe you've had about this. The question of why. Like sometimes when parents give their kids direction about something— Their uh, response is, why? And sometimes you just have to respond with, because I said so, right? And sometimes when it comes to God's direction, like, we just have to be okay with it and because I said so. But in this particular area of life, it's kind of cool that God gives us more than that. He actually gives us more than just because I said so. He, he gives us some really good reasons as to why it would be wise to follow God's rules or direction for sex and sexuality. Um, let's talk about relationships for a moment. When the Bible describes the marriage relationship, um, one of the words that could be used for it and is used is that it is a covenant relationship. What a covenant relationship is at its heart is when two people promise that they are going to love and support each other in every circumstance and in every situation. It's not just an engagement promise because it also needs to be recognized by the governing authorities. It's a a marriage relationship, a promise to each other. It is something that no matter what happens, it's more about what I can give in relationship than what I can get. It's what makes every human marriage imperfect. Because there's too many days, too many moments, 
where I view my spouse as an opportunity to receive something, whatever it might be, rather than to give and get upset if I'm not getting the affirmation or the support or whatever it is that I'm looking for. Now, in contrast to a covenant relationship, just to weed this out a little bit, we'll call it a consumer relationship. A consumer relationship is a relation like the relationship you have with your grocery store. You love your grocery store as long as it gives you good produce at a good price. But you're always looking for an upgrade. <laughs> I mean, think about Lakeville for a moment. When I came to Lakeville 15 years ago, there was one grocery store. Its name was Ingrins, all right? And slowly but surely, as the big box grocery stores came, people found produce at a cheaper price, and now where's Ingrins? It's a hockey arena, I think, right? So consumer relationship is not about what I can give because I've made a promise. A consumer relationship is about what I can get or I'm out of here. And in a consumer relationship, you always find yourself marketing. You always find yourself having to play a certain role or be a certain way, or otherwise that person that you're dating or with might go somewhere else potentially. And what happens is, is that in a consumer relationship, there's a great deal of insecurity that happens. But you see, when, when two people are covenanting with each other, and again, let me just say, every marriage has sin in it, and so no marriage covenants perfectly. But God's plan for marriage was two people saying, after you, after you. Where do you want to eat? Where do you want to eat? It's about you, not about me. Oh, I want to be what you're about, not about me. It's, it's like this, this putting the towel over your arm and waiting on the other person, so to speak. And when it, when it comes to sex then, understand this. Sex wasn't created as a consumer good. It was created as a covenant blessing. Sex outside of the marriage covenant, I don't care how deep your love is, has a consumer aspect to it. It's either about what I get or what I need to give to keep that person with me because they haven't made the promise. And if we're not getting what we're looking for, I'm gone. It's not until you make that promise, that covenant promise, until death do us part, then guess what happens? There is an environment of the greatest safety and security, human speaking, humanly speaking, that you can have. That a person really knows me without the facade or the makeup. And they're not going anywhere because they covenanted with me. And again, this doesn't happen perfectly in marriage, but that's the goal and that's the design that God had for it. And so, and I, I'm stealing this from a, another pastor. I was reading his book this week. 
Sex then becomes an external symbol of an invisible reality. What's the invisible reality? A person who promised on their marriage day that I'm going to be all about you and it's not about me. That I'm going to be vulnerable by opening up to you and letting you know all about me, which is a really, really hard thing to do. And I'm going to love you like no one else. And I'm going to always be there for you. As frail and sinful and mistake you know, that, that I might have. And in that context, the vulnerability and intimacy of sex is just an external symbol of what has already been established in that promise, that invisible reality. Okay, with that foundation in mind, first of all, isn't God smart? Isn't he wise? Isn't that awesome? To really unpack it and think about why God said, do not commit adultery. Let's go back to verse 28. If you're not feeling convicted yet, let's go to this verse. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is a difficult verse. Not to understand it, but to hear it. And guys, the way God wired us, it's harder even for us. I'm not making excuses. I'm just acknowledging. This verse levels the playing field. That there's not a person in here that hasn't broken the sixth commandment. It also reminds us of how important it is to guard that area of life, to think about what we're looking at, to think about situations that we're in, to, to think about, you know, um, what we're seeing, even on social media, all those sorts of things. And, and one of the things I want to point out is that um, lust, as Jesus is talking about it, is not the exact same thing as appreciating someone's beauty, let's say, okay? So what's the difference? Maybe this will help. It's our next fill-in. Here's the problem with lust. Lust treats a person as an object to be had. It's consumerism rather than a treasure to be prized. So if you're not sure of whether your glance at someone is treasure is, I'm sorry, appreciating beauty or lust, maybe this question will help. You know what it doesn't help? It doesn't help our conscience because there is a fine line, isn't there, between appreciating beauty and have it treating a person as an object to be had. As we unpack the uh, hot seat box questions on this topic of sex and sexuality, um, there was more than one that was connected to the topic of pornography. Obviously, this hits that topic right on the head, among other things, right? And I think one of the things that we need to do so that we're able to better address it in relationships and or with friends is to just get it out onto the table and, and talk about it. You need to know that over 50% of guys look at pornography, pornography regularly. It's about 20% of women. You have to understand that um, when it comes to the revenue that pornography creates, and this kind of to show you how much there is, 
re annual revenue for pornography is more than the revenue of the NFL or the NBA or the NHL or NASCAR or MLB combined. And to think most of pornography today is what? Free. And yet it still outpaces all of those things. This is a big challenge, a big problem, something that your pastors and this church need to be careful of and need to, to talk about. And remember, sometimes the message that we receive out there is, what is it really hurting? So I, I kind of dug at that question this week. What does that hurt that is looking at images? Well, here's some things. First thing I, I found is this. It supports the lie that people are just objects. The more you look at pornography, the more people just become means to an end and support that which is not true. People are treasured, prized treasures, not objects. Number two, it feeds the mindset that sex and sexuality is about me because it's all with a click of a finger on my time when I want it. Number three, it creates unrealistic expectations. Whether it's what your partner should look like, spouse that is, or what should be happening, <laughs> or the frequency of things, like, I don't know about you, but guys, does the, the wink at supper work for you, you know? No, right? But with pornography, it's a whole different story, and it creates expectations that are just not real. Number four. It damages trust and intimacy with your spouse. Um, if your spouse discovers this habit or this thing, um, the question that she may have is, how can I compete? The, the, the answer is, she can't. And it creates a, a wedge in relationships. And number five, it also harms your relationship with God. In every person I've talked to, in every book that I've read, Pornography use always leads to a short amount of happiness and then a great deal of guilt and shame. So, what are we going to do? <laughs> what did Jesus say to do? Well, let's go back to verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to stumble, Cut it off. Is he being literal? I would say yes. With this caveat, is it really your eyes that's causing you to stumble? Or is it something deeper, right? Isn't it our, our hearts and our minds? But at the end of the day, what this verse gets at is... First of all, how God feels about sexual sin. And then also about how drastic measures might be needed. Get out of our comfort zones and make some big steps. I thought about that. What are some things that I could give to you? Well, how about this? 
Number one, maybe the big step is to set up safeguards. Um, there's a, a website called Covenant Eyes that is a really good one that you might want to put on your computer or um, there might be a mobile version of it. Um, parents, our sons, teenagers, and younger, we really need to be vigilant on this stuff because it can change their entire life potentially. Set up safeguards. Be careful what websites we go to. Be careful what movies we go to or let our kids watch. Number two, create accountability with another person. And this is why, again, I think one of many reasons why this Hot Seat series is so important. Because what I'm doing right now is I'm establishing that 50% of men struggle with pornography. That means there are people in this room that do, in this church that do. And guess what? They need people to love them, and to be there for them. I, I hope that this topic, which, you know, only is going to come up every so once in a while, right, is one that creates an environment where there's a Christian man who might be willing to talk with a buddy. It's probably not going to be in group, but outside of group, and just say, hey, this is something I've been struggling with. And that Christian man's going to say, hey, even if they don't struggle with it themselves, to say, hey, I'm glad you told me about it. How can I support you? How can I help you? And number three, commit to growth. This is a, the proactive piece. In fact, on your uh, sermon notes page, I have a website, conquerorsthroughchrist.net. It's a really good website that allows uh, men and women to sort of be proactive in the fight against this and the, the, the things that uh, we can so easily see and lead us astray. God does have rules for sex and sexuality. The reason is he understands its beauty. The other reason is he understands its danger. And I 100% understand that messages like this, and we've had them in the past, they hit different people in entirely different ways. Some of you feel a great load of guilt on your shoulder right now for decisions you've made in your past or relationships you've had in your past that went too far. Others of you are feeling convicted about something that you're involved in right now. Maybe still others of us have heard a new way to consider why it was such a good thing that we waited for marriage and understand that if you're not married yet, if you're a young person, how important it is to do that because God isn't just saying, I told you so, or that's the way it is, but he gives us good reasons for the direction he gave. But I, I do understand that this is a difficult topic, that it has the tendency to bring a great, I guess, weight on people's shoulders. And so I want to leave you with some great deal of hope. A little bit later in Jesus' ministry, he was... Um, near a group of people, and the, the religious leaders of the day um, brought a lady who was guilty of sexual sin. It just tells us that she was an adulterer. And, and these church leaders brought her before Jesus because they wanted to ask him whether they should stone her for her sin. Kind of an extreme way to handle it, right? To deal with it. Here was Jesus' reply 
John chapter 8, verse 7. If any one of you is without sin, let that person be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus, much like today, is just leveling the playing field so that we all recognize that none of us are perfect, that we all have issues. And the Pharisees needed to understand that as well. And then he continued. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, the adulterer. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And then here is Jesus' amazing reply that you and I need to hear today as well. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And it's absolutely amazing to think about it. Here's how one pastor put it. The only one in the group that had no sin was the only one who had no stone. How we can so easily be judgy of other people and their problems and their sin and yet recognize the the grace that Jesus had as the perfect Lamb of God come to this earth. To understand that Jesus does have standards and direction. He said, leave your life of sin. It's not like he was downsizing sin or thinking it's no big deal. But he knew that what that woman needed in that moment was a sweet message of hope, the sweet message of forgiveness. The sweet message that when it comes to the person to which it counts the most, she was okay with God. Our last fill-in, Jesus doesn't extend his arm <laughs> to throw a stone. He extended his arms to give us grace. Jesus knows all about us. He knows us at our worst. He's seen us at our best. And yet, it was while we were still sinners that Christ came and died for us. And with that act on the cross, he washed away all of our sin and guilt. You see, most of the time when people sort of put sex in the wrong place in the relationship orders, it's because they're looking for love and significance. Jesus says, the person with which you need it the most, you already have that with him, with the creator God. And so today, as we move forward, as we, as we go and sin no more, so to speak, we will, we will. But there is hope. There is hope with the Holy Spirit in our hearts to make changes in lieu and, and connected with what God has done for us. There is hope because God does not condemn us, but he has forgiven us and given us eternity with him in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we uh, think about this topic, 
again, it's one that is um, so difficult. It tends for all of us to lend itself to some guilt. Lord, we just ask that your grace would overcome that guilt. That if for some of us we needed to be convicted by the law, that that happened today. We all need that sometimes. But that we would leave this place understanding that Jesus, through repentance, has forgiven that sin. So we'd ask for your blessing and your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.